a century club to start our season a little bit of mid strolling and now another big bass bonanza at fork that and more on episode 166 of the inside Bassmaster podcast i'm your host as usual ronnie moore my co-host like always kyle jesse is on the road sitting in his car outside of lake fork i guess waiting to check into the hotel kyle before you get settled in for the elite this week but from toledo to fork couldn't have probably started off with two better big fish places where we get to see a little bit of weather impact, but we'll get into that and more in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously uh, to get a century belt right off the bat um, at Toledo Bend was really awesome. Um, you know, I think that you guys got to see it on live probably more than I did on the water, but the transition of fish wanting to push shallow. I mean, it was super warm uh, for a handful of days in a row there. Uh, you know, you had your full moon, things of that nature. And then from Toledo Bend to Fork, I mean, you're talking about a lot of warm weather between, you know, Sunday and then potentially to Thursday. Um, you know, we'll get more into that, of course. Looks like we might have some changing conditions, but um, I assume the fish will be on the move. Uh, you know, it's something that we all talked about, you know, at Toledo Bend, and I think we'll see more of that at Lake Fork for sure. We'll talk about all of our theories on fish head and shallow and, and what pressure has done to them and really, you know, I guess the impact of the moon and different things that we've seen over the years. But we always, Kyle, I want to start off with the reminder that we always talk about in Arkansas is we could get warm weather. We've had warm weather here in Arkansas the last few days. No matter how warm it gets, we always are like, uh-oh, they could be spawning soon. We got a moon coming up and it's they don't ever do it in Arkansas until like April steady, you know, like it's like maybe you see one, but there's not ever like a full wave that have truly moved up in Arkansas until April. But we know South Texas, South Louisiana is a totally different deal. So uh, were you shocked out on the water? Let's just get to Toledo Bend and recap that real quick. But were you shocked on the water that you didn't get to cover more guys shallow? It seemed like if any fish did put push shallow during the event or before the event, it was just all the males. Like there was, I, I, it was very rarely did we see a big one get caught up shallow. Very rarely that we saw people spending their time doing it. And I don't know if that's because they did it in practice and it just didn't, it just wasn't going on. But it, it certainly wasn't going on even on Championship Sunday when you got two or three guys who have no shot to win it really are, they're experimenting and trying it, but it still didn't seem like it was doing its thing. It was surprising to me based on the fact that uh, you know, during media day on Wednesday and talking to anglers, it sounded like that was going to be more of a factor. You know, I think that it was a little surprising to me to hear how many guys, you know, a day before the tournament, were talking about how the shallow bite was going to play. If you'd asked me three, you know, three weeks, a month ago, if I'd have been surprised that less guys were fishing the bank, I'd have probably said no, because, you know, I, I would have expected February Toledo Bend, potential cold weather, water temperature still dipping down. Um, I would have expected more fish to be off the bank, but you know, with the warming weather, the full moon, everything that we had, despite still being the end of February, um, you know, and then, you know, additionally, what you and I had talked about on the previous podcast with Daryl Gleason mentioning that if certain things lined up, that there would be guys really catch them on the bank and even spawning. Well, it was, it was a little shocking that of those fish that were moving up, some of the bigger females were not, you know, um, you know, you mentioned Washita and, and that part of the country, you know, a lot of places, including, including central Arkansas, like we're talking about some of the biggest fish in the lake pull up first. I mean, it almost always happens that way because like you said, guys want to rush the spawn so much, a lot of times to where, you know, they'll catch a 10 pounder or whatever it may be. And it's like, Oh, they're spawning, they're spawning. Well, some of the biggest fish in the lake pull up, you know, spawn quickly and move back out. But that doesn't mean that the majority of the population is spawning. So, um, it was a little surprising that more guys didn't have sustained success doing that. Um, and I guess I was even more surprised, you know, despite seeing guys like Chris Johnston, Jordan Lee, some of those guys go to the bank later in the tournament. Um, I don't know. It's one of those things. I think if you have your pattern pretty well dialed in doing something else, whether it may be fishing grass off the bank, um, you know, live scope and timber, whatever it may be, it's hard to leave that in hopes to find fish shallow. It's surprising to me that maybe, you know, a guy or two didn't make it um, to the final day that were steadily catching more fish up shallow and then were able to, you know, blast them on the final day. I think that was kind of what a lot of guys were looking for. Uh, but I guess that, you know, just didn't pan out. I guess enough fish were still off the bank and coming to the bank. Uh, and, you know, 
those guys that intercepted them on the uh, creek channels and the kind of secondary stuff, the pre-spawn, typical pre-spawn areas were the guys that uh, obviously were able to have the most success. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've gone to Washita and caught 15 to 25 fish on a buzz bait with 58 degree water. And I'm like, I haven't seen one on the bed yet, but yet they're active enough to bite a buzz bait. Did I miss a wave or has the wave not gotten there yet? And so uh, it's interesting to see Toledo. So, so give us the, the perspective. We knew Housen Creek, six mile Creek. We know those, you know, Pirates Cove and Louisiana side. We knew that those areas were going to be factors. That's why we labeled them on the map, that those are the, the, the hot spots. Um, I learned after covering one or two Toledo events that like every college event, I just would drive to the mouth of housing and, and start taking photos of people. And I'd eventually find someone in the running after day one uh, throughout my day. And so we knew those places would factor, but break down what it looked like at close to full pool out there with the timber and then where you started to kind of line out. You kind of got four days of practice at Toledo watching the tournament. You kind of know like, were these fish moving farther back in the creeks, closer on those flats towards the bank, or were they still really tight to those tree, creek channel edges? Uh, it seemed like most guys that were having success, so my perspective is a little uh, tainted, I guess, if you want to call it that, because I did stay in housing for all four days. I mean, the the majority of the top ten, whether it be, you know, day two, three, four, you know, whatever day it was, was fishing in housing. And to be honest, like, even – you know, eliminating housing's a big area, eliminating probably 85% of it. I mean, the, you know, the guys that really had success, um, you know, you look at Luke Palmer, Koya, um, Corey, Corey Johnston, yeah, Pat Schlapper, Alex Weatherill, um, Cooper was in there, Cooper Galan. I mean, there was uh, the majority of the top 10 was fishing basically within sight of, of where, you know, the, all those guys I just named were fishing. So um, my perspective is a little different. Um, however, yeah, it seemed like one of the flats, you know, the Pat and Luke were fishing a lot. You know, both of them were fishing the drop-off kind of into the creek channel a lot early on in the tournament. Uh, and it seemed like that last day, you know, neither of those guys had excellent days, of course, but it seemed like a lot of their better bites were coming shallower up on the flat. So to say that those fish had moved, you know, all the way back wouldn't be accurate, but to say that they had moved from deeper water to shallower water uh, certainly was the case. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to see what it's like today, you know, two days after the tournament with super warm weather two days in a row, I would have to think, you know, more of those fish push back there because even Pat on the last day went and fished shallow, um, you know, for a decent little while. And we, we stayed with him while he was doing that. Um, and he was able to see fish on beds and see fish back there and catch a few little ones. But, uh, you know, it was just hard for him to, to get that bigger bite the final day. Yeah, it was, it was odd. We thought, you know, Zona said it on live, like the baseline, his floor was like 18 pounds, you know? So it was like, you're going to just need the worst day you've had all week, 22 to break a hundred. You know, if he just even catches 18, he's going to force him to catch 24, you know, like it's still a possibility, things like that. And uh, it really just didn't happen for him. But Alex Weatherell, you know, he started to rise up the leaderboard late in the tournament and and made the final day. Um, he talked about on live his waypoint management. You know, waypoint seemed like a thing of the past because they'd mark structure or you maybe mark some offshore schools that are on a hard spot, you know, on the Tennessee River or whatever. But Weatherell said he would every time he'd catch a fish, he would mark the, a waypoint and each day it would be a different color so that he could see how Thursday went, Friday went, Saturday. Like where – if his bites were – you know, when you're head down or you're just trolling around, where these fish might be moving within the creek channel, up on the flats like you said. And so uh, – and then obviously adjacent to the grass, you know, there was a good a good amount of hydrilla in some of those areas. And so to see they were on this part of the grass and now they're on this end of the grass, things like that or how many places replenish. So uh, give me a perspective of, because on live we knew everyone on the map was close, but was it bumping boats? Was it, did everybody have their own little real estate? If, if Palmer and Schlapper were close, did they ever Venn diagram, you know, spots over and, and get around each other or swap sides or how did that manage for, you know, eight, eight of the top 10? Of all those guys I named, at pretty much any given time, 
they were all within sight of each other. The only two that you could use the Venn diagram, uh, you know, uh, example for would be Pat and Luke. They both fished um, a, a more defined area, I guess, than the other guys were. Well, as far as like a specific area that the other guys weren't, I should say. Um, but it seemed like for the majority of the tournament, Pat was fishing a little bit deeper. He was fishing closer to the creek channel. Uh, and then Luke was fishing, you know, you saw him throwing a jerk bait, doing a lot of those things um, a little bit closer to the flat. So some of those, some of the, you know, those, those two uh, definitely fished over some of the same areas that they had fished, uh, you know, that the other had fished, I should say. But um, for the most part, it was not like bumping boats by any means. I mean, there was, it seemed like from, from my perspective, it seemed like there was five or six hot spots, you know, in that general area. And a couple of the guys were rotating in and out. Obviously, like you mentioned, Alex was was uh, not staying put too long. He would he would run to some of the other places and come back and things of that nature. But uh, you know, Pat specifically was fishing basically one. I don't know. I want to call it like two hundred yards, maybe stretch back and forth, kind of you know teetering on the line of the channel and where the timber meets the uh, the the flat with the grass. And um, you know, obviously there was a lot of fish there. The last day um, was clearly a struggle, but um, for the most part, they all kind of had their own little specific areas and having got to cover that area for four days, it was not like there was any, you know, funny business going on where one guy was fishing an area. And then the next day, a guy that saw him catch him there, like they all stayed in their general areas, like, and it worked out well, because I don't think that for the most part, they were looking to, uh, you know, venture out of their specific spots. So, uh, I think it, it's from my perspective, it seemed to work out for all the guys. I'm waiting for the day on live where we see a fish suspending by a piece of timber and we see a bait drop down to him. And then we see another bait from like another direction. And, and we see multiple baits on the same screen going for the fish. Cause people are fishing that close. But like we said, that wasn't necessarily the deal at Toledo. Uh, give me your, your vibe because you know, we're shallow water guys, uh, you know, by heart, Zona, Davey, they spoke about it, you know, at lengths on live about how the fishing is changing these days and how it's not what you'd think. And it's somewhat disappointing that there wasn't diversity and who would have ever imagined that it, we'd come to Toledo in February and everybody would be doing the same thing. Um, can you gauge or give me a vibe, you know, backstage behind the tanks of how the anglers were. Cause we saw each other on Wednesday and there was some, you know, we did the whole boat inspection and photos and things and, and guys would make their comments here and there, but uh, what's the overall vibe about how anglers are having to catch fish if they want to compete and win at least last week at Toledo bend, people can think it's the end of the world for fork grand Lake Harris chain, St. John's going forward on the schedule, but we know that there will be times that, it won't be completely dominated by this. I At least we believe that until we see otherwise, we're not sure. We didn't think it would be at Toledo with it getting warmer. So what what was the, uh, I guess, the mood of of just the overall field and people there? Yeah, you know, I don't want to overreact too harshly one way or the other, which I think is important for uh, everybody probably to do, although that's not exactly the popular uh, decision from most um, you know, I think that when you talk about a place like Toledo Bend, I don't think there was anybody in their right mind that thought, you know, forward facing center was not going to be a factor. I, I think that, you know, we know the power of it. We know where it excels. We know how guys can use it to be successful. Well, I, it wasn't surprising to me at all to see the guys were, you know, obviously having such, such success with it at, um, at Toledo Bend. Now, the general vibe, I, I definitely get the sense that, you know, more and more guys are starting to get frustrated with it. But I think that just comes with a lot of things. I think that, um, you know, when you see guys have success with it, they're really good with it. Um, you know, it might be frustrating to watch. It might be frustrating to be a part of, for sure, you know, as an angler. But at the same at the same rate, like for the most part, these guys all have the technology. You know, I mean, like the only ones that don't are the ones that, consciously choose not to so um which is single, I don't know. Digit, single digit guys right right even I mean, even, it, even the guys who want to be shallow have one they may not have six units they may not, they have a unit perfect. for it it's on the troll motor because on the elite series you fish for a living 
if you don't have it and you need it at noon on day two of an event, you can't go get it installed, you know, during the day. You better have it when you when you start. So, yeah, I, I know it's split, and I know the viewership, you know, I wouldn't even say split 50-50, but I, I think that the naysayers or the negative Nancys are louder than the, the people learning. And and I truly learned. We got to see Robert G's, you know, live scope all week. We got to see some 360 at times from guys. And it was just, it was great seeing it and learning it. And I think that that's something we're going to get better at at the production side of it is showing that and lining it up as a teaching method um, and not not as a magical, you know, wave your wand and boom, you you catch them. It's, but yeah, I, and I know that there's a lot of disappointed, frustrated anglers that are, they don't recognize the sport they're in right now. But I also do know, we've had those changes throughout society and time going from topo maps to getting GPS or nothing to having a flasher or flashers to side imaging. And who would have ever thought that in the, in the peak 2010s that somebody would side scan all three days of practice looking for schools of fish and would never make a cast on any of them. But that's the way that we were like during that season of time in the heyday of the Tennessee river, that's what you did. So and now it's just transitioning to this technology. So obviously there's concerns all around, but um, yeah, I, I I know it's could be a really fun atmosphere at elite events, but I know there's a lot of serious conversations and frustrations that are vented out um, as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things like things evolve, right? I mean, you and I have talked about this seems like no matter what we're talking about, you know, forward facing gets brought up to some degree, you know, varying levels, but um, every, you know, everything music sports uh i mean everything you can think of for the most part evolves and you know i can understand fully fully that you know some anglers that you know the the guys that have been doing this for a long time might not like or you know might not you know be in love with um you know the transition that we're seeing but i think that there's a lot of factors and i think that again you know rather than overreacting like you have to realize like when you go to Toledo Bend in February and like potentially March, I mean, excuse me, fork in February, March, like it's a typical pre-spawn time of the year. Like there's fish off the bank. Like the technology is going to be a factor. Certainly. Um, you know, I, I just don't know. It's hard to compare to anything because it is so unique. I'm, I'm not trying to hide that at all. I mean, obviously like if you look at all the other advancements in technology, whether it be power poles, certain transducers, you know, side scan, you know, 360, whatever it may be, really none of them have made as big of an impact as forward-facing sonar has. So I'm not trying to downplay that it's just another thing that's come along because it is, it is. I mean, clear as day. If you watch Bassmaster Live or if you've fished in a boat with, with LiveScope, like you see the difference. Like it's like quite literally you see the difference um, in, takes, in what's takes going on. Takes a lot on. of questions out, you know? Certainly, certainly. So, I mean, uh, I agree 1,000% with the guys that say, you know, it's it's not just a magic wand. It's not just you just turn it on and you start catching them because you certainly don't. Like, I've fished with it enough to know, like, oh, you know, more often than not, it just makes you realize how many fish you're not catching. Um, so it, it's just a, such a, a a weird time in that regards. And hopefully, you know, things will start kind of evening out. And, you know, once we get further along in the schedule, things will will uh, change up a bit. But it, it is certainly a, a very powerful tool. I got to look back because I was texting with Kenta Kamira on Sunday after the tournament. And where is it at? 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 Here it is. He said uh, we were talking about it, and he said that they have scope haters in Japan as well. And, and so that Kiyoya may have kept it more on the down low, what he was doing in Japan. Um and, you know, they have a big fishing community there. But if you see something in an Elite Series event on FS1 and Bassmaster.com, people know what it is within the hour, you know. And so when you can't hide stuff nearly as much. But they said they have scope haters um, in Japan. Got to keep it quiet at times. And then he said, I get really excited to know why we used to catch them so randomly on a red trap. Hmm. And and that's what it would have been. You know, this tournament would have been a 74 to 78-pound win, just like it was in April in 17 when John Murray wins. You know, like, 
does Toledo have the fish for a century club? hundred percent. We saw it. They have plenty of five and six pounders to do it. Uh, do those fish go to the bank as much? Probably a lot less than other lakes because of how many flats and turns and, and channels and timber. And that place was the one that was really revealed before fork in the fall for the elites. Cody Huff won to a college event, a Toyota series at Toledo in January, February, dropping a, you know, a little Hopkins spoon, you know, in the timber and catching fish like that. And so, uh, I think we knew they lived out there, but when they don't make a push to the bank, you're going to see a 70 pound, 75 pound tournament. Not that that's bad. It's just, I think it's a, a unique body of water. That's much different than maybe a fork fork is so small compared to it. They can't, they can't all live offshore. There's not enough water for them to stack up, or there's just going to be mega school after mega school after mega school. They they've got to, to go places. Cause it's only, you know, it's a eighth of the size of Toledo. Toledo is massive. And so right. I wonder um, how fork will be this week, but make no bones about it. The name of the game on the Bassmaster elite series is to catch the goal is to catch more fish and to catch bigger fish and it's driving some winning weights up. And so if you choose to not use it stubbornly to just fish your desired way, everyone's always done that. We've talked about that. There are those guys who flip a jig and they need to pick up a shaky head and catch one more fish to fill their limit out. And they stuck with the jig all day and they only brought in four. And we're like, why didn't you change up? Now we're seeing guys stick with a jig all day. And instead of, messing with the live scope they they stick to their guns and then they they're in 75th just to play devil's advocate it were in an odd spot because they are now praised for doing that and that was my only disappointing thing that i saw out of the first event was and, and this is just me not calling anyone out specifically but just the heroes of the sport the veterans of the sport those who have been here maybe since the elite series started or they've been fishing since 2000 you know 1995 whatever it is the heroes, my heroes of the sport that I've been able to cover used to preach to me and you, Kyle, when we were kids, you'd watch you, you never give up. You fish hard to the last second. Um, you, you work harder than everyone else. You put in your time and you never settle for, you know, for zero. You always are trying to figure it out. You're trying to adapt and survive, be versatile, mix this into your game plan, all that stuff. I saw a lot of my heroes choose to be one trick ponies and they went home and they finished 80th place at Toledo. It's just weird to see fans rooting that on. Uh, I get the pureness of it, but I was disappointed to see guys who had always told me to like, never stop trying new things, always learn and adapt, catch more fish, figure it out, rest on, you know, their soapbox and, and be okay with missing the cut. It's never okay to miss the cut. Never. You're under, it's going to happen, but you're, it's never okay to settle for that. And I felt like we saw some people settle for that just to prove a point or just to, to show themselves. You know, <laughs> I think Tommy says that on live. Oftentimes when you're trying to prove a point to someone else, you're like, yeah, let me show myself how bad that is, you know, kind of deal. And, uh, and, and so I was a little disappointed and frustrated with that. You know, I, I get it, but, but that sucked. That sucked to see. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I I didn't get to see a lot of that because most of the guys I was covering obviously were were using well, it, but I, and I, I didn't get I, to see them. They weren't in the top ten, but just social or yeah, knowing it's sure. just like oh dang, certainly. And uh, you know, I mean, they have the right to say what they want about it and think what they want about it, and that's that's perfectly okay. I mean, there's really nothing we can yeah. we can say, but it's one of those things where like, in my mind, again, this is just my personal opinion it's been around long enough to where there's no real excuse not to like understand that it's going to be a factor. You know what I mean? Like it'd be like, let's just say again. And when I say this, like people say, well, they're not comparable. They're, they're not, but let's just say when the a rig came out, let's say bass did allow you to throw the a rig and for tournaments and tournaments and tournaments, like, you know, numbers of them five in a row, how many ever it was like people just caught them on an a rig. If by the sixth tournament, you're not considering throwing an A-rig just for the sake of competition, like, you know. What are we doing crazy. here? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not using, you know, it's like from a sports aspect, like 
if bats are made now to be incredibly well-made, the wood is harder, the ball travels further, I'm not going to use Babe Ruth's bat from 19-0-whatever-it-may-be just because that's the way it was. You know, I mean, like, as a competitor, you want to do whatever it is that's going to make you competitive. Like, at the end of the day, that's what you are. Like, these all 103 of these guys, they're all competitors. So, like, if there's something that's going on that allows you to be more competitive, like, at the end of the day, like, that, if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. Like, I mean, you know, no athlete has ever, like, you know, that wanted to be competitive has never done less when there's more available, if that makes sense. You know, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's the part I struggle with. And that's the thing. Like, guys have made careers off of going against the grain and doing their thing. Like, at the end of the day, like, if you think doing your strength or what you want to do is good enough, then that's what you should do. Like, that's 100% as an angler what you should do. Uh, you know, you shouldn't just do something just because everybody else is doing it. But, like, also, like, when you have the technology and it's been pretty, you know, evident for for a good while now that it's a, a factor, um, you know, you have to kind of, I don't know. It's, it's a, I don't want to, like, be too specific because I don't want, like, not every instance is the exact same. But, like, to this point in time, we know how big of a factor it is. Like, if, if you're just going to go against the grain and not use it to prove a point, like, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Like, you have, as a pro angler, you have just too much. Just blinders in, on for no reason. Yeah, 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 you have too much invested in this sport to not try to do whatever it is that gives you the best chance to catch fish. So, I mean, like, that's that that to me, I guess, is kind of the 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 point that I would I would say, you know, to the ones trying to prove a point. And I don't I don't know how much of that there really is. I mean, again. Guys have every every right to say what they want and not be pleased with it. Like I, yeah, I'm if not praying entry fees. You can go fish have, your tournament how you want to do it. I have literally zero, and I mean zero problem with guys being displeased with it. Like that's perfectly fine. Um, but again, just from the competitive standpoint, like there's been enough time um, of of understanding how evident, you know, forward facing sonar is to where like, you know, you get better at it or you don't. Like I mean, it's yeah. kind of 12 o'clock every day the train comes through. So at 11.55, don't be shocked when you start hearing a horn because it's it's on its way. It's something we right. expect to come into the year. I think I, lo I love basketball. I'm a basketball fan. And so uh, it's the Tim Duncans of the world who were masters in the low post, turn around, 15-foot bank, knocked it in. Uh, then there are some skill players, you know, shooting guards that are great at pull-up jumpers, two-pointers, whatever. Those players, if they didn't retire when they retired, would have to develop a three-point shot now. That's why you're seeing big men shoot three-pointers and try it, and you're like, you're seven foot tall, go down there. Because it's an, the value of a three-pointer and the pace of the game these days, it's so much more important than having, you know, unless you're the absolute best in the low post, you're the absolute best 15-foot jump shot where it's 75% of the time it's going in, you're shooting 48% from two-point and you're shooting 41% from three-point. Why are you shooting two-pointers anymore? You're almost as good as shooting them out there, shoot more three-pointers. And so this is what, you know, if you're good at fishing a jig but you're not the absolute best, you're going to have to add another wrinkle to your game. And, you know, obviously, even going farther back, there's a reason James Naismith cut a hole in the bottom of the peach basket. Every time someone scored as they got better at scoring, people stopped getting on ladders to retrieve the ball. We need to we need to flow and move. And, and so uh, also I always mention, like, you know, stick and ball sports don't have many aspects of technology or advancements, sure, but the ball Hard gets better, the bat gets better, your cleats get better. There's a reason Converse was huge in the 90s or 80s, and then no one wears them now because other shoes adapted and adjusted and, and changed. So we're just seeing that in our relatively young sport, and it is something that's so new. I mean, if, I, if I'm supportive of forward-facing sonar, you'd think I was supportive of AI technology. Not at all. I do not. I hate chat GPT. I hate AI. I do not like that, but I can understand how you know forward-facing sonar will help. Uh, in certain things. Okay. Are you good? With you want to? I'm good. We're, I'm we're good. dropping that. We're dropping. That. Okay. Lake Fork. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. Um, you know, about two and a half hours, three hours north of Toledo Bend. 
Um, that's just probably because there's no great roads to get from Louisiana side of Toledo over there. It, it might be, you know, it might be 120 miles, but it's three hours, you know, so it's north. Um, you've been around the Dallas region. The weather's been warm. These fish should start making a push. Like we said, we expect a shallow water push. And the one cause for concern at this time of the year is when those fish make a shallow water push, is there cold weather or a cold front to stop them in their tracks or knock them back and make them swim back out there? I don't think that our cold, let me pull up Yantis, Texas on the weather real quick and see, I'll just read the forecast off. So uh, Yantis, Texas, it is uh, cloudy today. Well, it went away and went back to Little Rock. Okay, Yantis, Texas, it is, um, you know, 72 today for a low high of 80. And then tomorrow, which is the final day of practice, Wednesday, it is going to be dropping throughout the day. It's 70 uh, at midnight, and then it'll be 50 by the time they wake up. So that is a dramatic, dr- dramatic, a dr- dramatic drop, drastic drop. Huge winds on Wednesday from the north, 20 miles an hour, and then it settles out, and it's going to be 40s, you know, for most of the day on Thursday. Maybe some storms. Then it starts to pick back up and get up into the mid 70s, upper 70s throughout the rest of the tournament. So. Warming trend over the last five days, counting the end of Toledo. Warming trend throughout those. And then, boom, tomorrow it's going to be cold through day one. It'll rise back up throughout the day of day two and uh, stay pretty warm for day three and day four. Uh, What say you on projections? Of course, Century Club, most definitely, you know, whether they're shallow or deep, is definitely in the conversation. We've never not broken the Century Club there. Um, but will we see some guys be able to compete up shallow with those forecasts? I hope so. I, I you know, certainly <laughs> sitting here looking at sounds the good, Kyle. Back to you. Back to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I hope. I think that you know, yesterday specifically being Monday, um, like you said, I was in I was closer to Dallas, but um, the weather was in the nineties, nineties. It was like ninety two degrees, and here it was very similar. I mean, it was really really warm. Um, Today it's been warm. Like you said, Thursday, the day of the tournament, like, you know, it's going to, the first day of the tournament is going to be a little cooler, of course, but um, I, I just be hard to, it'd be hard for me to believe that there won't be a big push of fish go shallow. Shallow is relative too. I'm not saying that every fish is going to be on the bed spawning, um, but I just have to think that there's got to be a lot of ways to catch them fishing. And, you know, especially later in the tournament, similar to what we saw at Toledo Bend, you know, as the water temperature rises, as the air temperature rises later in the tournament, like that could be another big factor. You know, I mean, I think that it could certainly drive some of those fish shallow. Um, but at the same point, I mean, the way this lake sets up, there's almost always going to be fish off the bank. And I say always, it really is always fish going to be off the bank uh, to varying degrees. So my prediction is that we will see some guys really catch them good shallow um, compared to even at Toledo Bend just because of the sustained warm weather that we've had between Toledo Bend and now, um, you know, the first day I, you know, I assume there'll be guys catch them shallow, but I think as the tournament goes on, we'll see even more guys uh, be able to bring in big bags, fishing, you know, fishing the bank and fishing again, and even fishing shallow points, things that we've seen play here in the past, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, fishing the bank, but just fishing shallow water. And I wonder for, you know, I don't know how dirty Fort gets on the bank when it when it's windy, but 20 miles an hour from the north for multiple hours tomorrow. Uh, I feel like if you weren't forward-facing sonar offshore in the timber the last two days, you should have been because tomorrow is going to be very difficult to be out there doing that. And so it may change some things. There'll probably be a lot of people on the bank tomorrow practicing up shallow if they haven't already. Um, and I think that you'll be able to see you know, like we said, fish feel pressure, whether that's fishing pressure or low and high pressure, barometric pressure, that kind of stuff versus it was 90 and now it's 50. They don't feel the wind unless the wind churns up the water. They don't feel the the, the top two or three feet of the water column for the most part. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to affect the fishermen more than the fish probably. Um, and we did just have a full moon, like you said. So if there was warm weather, full moon, those fish might have made that move. And then um, and then they're obviously going to be, you know, possibly pushed back 
um, with this weather. Kyle, you still there? I think we might have lost Kyle with his, uh, I don't know if his computer died or not. I'm about to get a text from him, possibly. I got my guy back. His computer didn't die. He just lost connection, but he's checked in. All the all the reason to get inside of uh of your room or a room at Fork um, earlier than you're probably supposed to. But let's get into our Fork picks. We had kind of, you know, gone through our thoughts of the conditions. Let's get into some fantasy fishing before we pick our Fork picks. Do you have some people that you can give kudos to for winning the overall? Fantasy and drain the lake for Toledo Bend for Rapala Bassmaster Fantasy Fishing and for Falcon Rods Drain the Lake. Yeah, absolutely. On the Rapala side, we had C. Giles 12. Uh, he he won the overall prize for this tournament. And then uh, Drain the Lake, I didn't look at that, but I've got TDU LAC 53, or excuse me, 350 uh, won Drain the Lake. So I'm just looking over his roster right now. I imagine it had to be pretty stout. That's my partner um, account. I think I think that Matt Airy yeah. was that. I, I think I gave both of them love at the screen of knowledge. And uh, I know on Drain the Lake, I think Matt Airy was T. Dulock or whatever's uh, worst person at 35th, but everyone else was in the top 20, I think. Correct. Yeah, yeah. 35th was uh, was the worst. And then he had, let's see, one, two, three. He had four, four in the top 10. In the top 10, and then the rest of the guys in the top 20. So that's that's pretty uh, pretty stout right there. Yeah, and he didn't necessarily burn a bunch of people. And what was funny was uh, C. Giles, 12, like basically picked all rookies and Fujita, <laughs> and I, which is crazy, crazy that, you know, obviously the technological, you know, wave has hit us and the, the rookies and second-year guys are good at good with it. Um, that leads us to how we did. Let's, let's pull back the curtain. We'll go behind the curtain a little bit, Kyle. How did you do in fantasy fishing and drain the lake? Because I did pretty good, and I don't, I don't want to go first, because you know I want to rub it in a little bit. If if yours is worse, well, I mean it's only making up for the two lousy years that you've had. So I mean, one tournament <laughs> would be, uh, would be a, a good step in the right direction for you. Um, I was at eighty three point five percent, had uh, one thousand and thirty points. So um, let's see, I had Walters, of course, was on my team. Um, then I had two more or less duds, uh, with a 59th and a 79th, but then the, the rounded out, I had a 23rd and a 21st. So, uh, solid, but certainly could have been better. Yeah, I was, uh, 95%, uh, 1148. That's how many points I had at Toledo. And I think my only person who missed the cut was Brandon Lester got 59th, I think. Um, and then I also got. I think everybody for me moved up on day uh, day three of this event. Like Hudnall was 85th, jumped into the top 50 in like 49th, and then moved up to 29th place. And uh, Wesley Gore was in the top 10, dropped down to like 25th, jumped back up to 11th place. And then Cody Huff went from 6th down to 33rd and moved back up to 26th. Obviously, Walters being uh, my anchor there in second place man i that's a obviously low hanging fruit for angler of the year pick that was who five of the six guys on bass live picked for angler of the year was patrick walters he started out with a second place finish like by golly if he's not gonna stay in the top 10 maybe all year um normally he works his way up to it but uh great sign for him drain the lake I got uh, I was I was still in the 90s. I got 93%, 92.9 uh with 16.06. I didn't really burn that many people in my opinion either. Felt like I had a good mix. Let me go to my Toledo roster. Uh so I was 93%. Uh, I had Card, Mullen, Summerall, Cook, Walters, Watley, Safuentes, and Gore. I hate that I burned Joey on a 65th. That sucked. Um I burned Drew Cook on a 56th. That sucked. And then everybody else, you know, it was all good. Um, Summerall made the top 50. Mullins did as well. So did Brandon Card. Wesley Gore, I doubled up on him and Patrick Walters, and they both got top 11 finishes. So 16.06, had three miss the cut, had five um, make the cut, and one make the final day. 
Yeah, I was at uh, 88.3%, uh, similar in the sense that I had, uh, you know, a couple guys do really well. I had Pat Schlapper on my team, which was uh, probably my most notable pick. What uh, made you pick him there? Lack of percentage for that pick. Uh, just getting to cover him last year at Seminole um, and see what he was doing. Right. Just was very, very Toledo Ben like, and it seemed like it would it would mesh well. I didn't I didn't have any uh, insider information or anything. I just felt like that would be a good time to use Pat. And uh, when I was looking at the schedule, there wasn't really another event that really stood out to me, um, you know, larger than the the others, um, you know, select to select him. So um, I did have the 103rd place finisher, which was a uh, a bit of a bummer. That definitely. Uh, took the team in the wrong direction a little bit. But other than that, had a 15th, 29th, 3rd, 5th uh, in Ben Milliken, and then um, 38th, uh, let's see, and then obviously a 103rd. And then Keith Combs also didn't have a great event either. So two, two you know, pretty bad, bad you know, finishes, and then the rest of the guys in the top 30, so pretty solid. And you're still right behind, you know, relative percentage-wise, just 4% behind with – with having a um, two two terrible finishes, let's get into our fantasy fishing for Lake Fork. Uh, the five buckets are now set based on Angler of the Year strictly. So you've got Bucket A as the top twenty in AOI, Bucket B top twenty, Bucket C top twenty. I mean, uh, sorry, sorry, twenty, and then it's twenty one through forty, forty one through sixty, and then Kyle, do we know if Bucket E has twenty three guys? Is that what how we dispersed it? One, two, three, four. No, it has more guys than the first four buckets than you're saying, and then less guys in Bucket E. That's typically the way it's worked. Oh, that. okay. So it'll probably be Bucket A is twenty one guys, Bucket B is twenty one, Bucket C is twenty one, and then it's twenty and twenty. So, um, so let's jump right into it. I'll give you my A, B, C, D, E, and then, um. You can give me your five, and then we'll go through each bucket and why we picked each guy. I've got Justin Hamner, JT Tompkins, Lee Livesey, Scott Martin, and Jacob Peroznik. Uh, What say you? Um, so I, I have Patrick Walters again in bucket A, bucket B, Cody Huff, bucket C, Lee Livesey, bucket D, Clifford Perch, and bucket E, Kyle Welcher. So for bucket A, we're along the same lines here. I mixed it up to just be a little bit more diverse, but Justin Hamner and Patrick Walters are like the same dude. They're they're roommates or you know camping buddies. They park beside each other probably if they're camping. And uh, Hamner is great with his forward facing sonar, using a jerk bait, using things like that. Um, can also catch him shallow. We got to see him with a big old mop jig. He was still using forward facing sonar, but somehow. That doesn't matter if you're using a jig. People forget that you're doing that. And so he got all kinds of kudos and love, even though it's, you know, whatever. Um, so he's my bucket A pick for the same reasons you probably picked Patrick Walters in bucket A. Yeah, Patrick Walters. I mean, you know, when you talk about uh, fishing style, obviously going to be similar enough to Toledo Bend in a lot of ways. But then when you look at the history, I mean, obviously a win. Uh, let's see. A win, I want to say a second place finish, and then, yeah. uh, you know, top 14, I want to say. Um, pretty solid, you know, odds that he's going to do well again. And I said this the last time we were on, but, you know, last year it seemed like every tournament, you know, at the end of the event, I would regret not picking Welcher or Cobb. Like, it just seemed like I always felt like the time I picked one of those two guys, they were going to have their uh, their dud of the season, and it never happened. And, you know, to your credit earlier with, you know, Patrick Walters being – almost the, you know, the front runner by most to win angler of the year. Um, I just don't want to be left behind on, on that train. I think I'm just going to pick Patrick Walters until he proves me wrong, which I don't really foresee happening, but uh, that, you know, I, I just don't want to look back at the end of the tournament and be like, well, Patrick Walters was a really easy pick. I could have picked, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to play it safe in bucket a with Walters. Uh, I like that. When you're looking at the percentages, 59% are, consumed with two guys ben milliken at 34 and a half and patrick walters at 24 and change um so 50 you know 8 59 percent chris aldane's got seven percent and kyoya fajita's got 13 and a half percent uh for bucket a anybody under the radar that you considered picking if you didn't ride this walters train 
Anytime you come to Fork, you're obviously considering the fact that big baits will play um, to varying degrees. And, you know, given the time of the year for this event and the warming trend and everything, um, you can't overlook a guy like Chris Aldane. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not like that's a under the radar pick in a lot of ways being a Texan and having success here. But I want to say he was only at like 5% or 4.5%. I mean, Seven, pretty yeah. low. Yeah. yeah, okay. Pretty low either way, uh, you know, to pick Zaldane at Fork. So, um this could be the time, obviously, you know, we always keep an eye on it that, you know, big baits will play for all four days. So um, if that's the case, then, you know, a guy like Chris Aldane and bucket a could be a, you know, a really good pick for pretty low percentage considering, uh, you know, his history of success and history fishing the lake. I feel like we now have, you know, in past years, you avoid rookies. You know, you don't need to pick a rookie, but I feel like we know from the opens how good these rookies are, and then they showed up in week one. Um, and so bucket B, I'm going with JT Tompkins. Uh, I mentioned him, obviously, going down my list. There's not really too many people with huge percentages. Taku Ito has 19%. Brandon Card has 10%. But everybody else is in single-digit percentage. JTB and 8% is like the second, I mean, the third or fourth most picked angler in bucket B, but I think the JT, uh, I think the JT will do well at Toledo. Um, he didn't do bad, obviously at, uh, I mean, he didn't do bad at Toledo. I think he'll do well at fork. Yeah. I, I went with the young guy as well. Not a rookie of course, but, um, you know, comparatively doesn't seem that young cause he's been around for a handful of years, but still young dude is, uh, Cody Huff. So, um, I would say that would be more of a, a forward facing sonar pick if I had to say, um, but you know, had, had a decent finish here. Um, and I just think stylistically like pre-spawn, you know, standing timber, all the things that you look at this event and think, you know, these are all things that Cody Huffer, you know, is, is good at doing, um, used to doing on bull shoals and table rock and, and places that he's had success in the past. So, um, at a fairly low player percentage, I want to say, let's see, 4.7 player percent. Um, I'm going with Cody Huff also going with the young gun. Well, when we talk about bucket C and the percentages, it's really the percentage, and it's 69% for Lee Livesey. I've been burned by him in the past by trying to be too cute with it and picking somebody else. I'm just going to assume he's going to get a top 10, top 15, and I'm going to just ride with that percentage even though it isn't gaudy 69%. Yeah, same here. I, I think that <laughs> – I want to say you'd be crazy not to do it, but you did do that, I guess, what, two years ago. So, uh, and, and learned your lesson rightfully so. So um, the one thing I will say in bucket C is Polinick in a, a small sample size has done extremely well here at Fork. So um, if you wanted to take a risk, it's not like 11% is a, a huge risk, but um, compared to almost 70%, anything is a, a solid chance. So, um, you know, who knows? It's It's one of those things where, being here earlier in the year, you're not exactly sure how that will help or hurt Lee, but um, I mean, it seems like at this point, he's proved way too much on this lake, um, you know, tournaments and not fishing tournaments to, to go against him. Yeah. He was telling me on the phone when I talked to him before the season started that this time of the year, it's not really spot oriented. It's, it's region, it's area. So pulling up to that one cast spot type deal may not be the gig, but rather just getting in that good area. So we'll keep an eye on that. I did consider Kenta Kamira 1.9%, and I was really like, I think Kenta's going to freaking crush it this week. So just for the people on the podcast that have listened this far, if Kenta crushes it, just know that I really wanted to pick him, but I'm peer pressured into picking Lee Livesey for the right reasons. Bucket D, I'm going with Scott Martin. Man, mixing in, you know, some offshore forward facing sonar or getting up on the bank or fishing shallow. I think that he could be someone who does a little bit of both. Maybe I saw how effective his perspective mode was in Florida in shallower water fork is tremendously shallower than Toledo is. So I feel like that could come into play a little bit more than it would have at Toledo, just based on the situation, you know, obviously traditional live scope, you know, forward facing sonar angle is going to be good at Toledo and deeper places. Perspective is great at shallower places. I could see with Scott fishing in Florida, having it tuned to those depths and knowing what he's looking at could be a deal here. Uh, and really under the radar for that bucket, 27% for Joey, 17% for Jason Christie, got 14% for Gerald Swindle. 
and then even Seth Fighter at seven seven and a half percent is uh, trailing behind those guys as the fourth most picked, uh, and Scott would be I think the fifth most picked. So four point five percent. I didn't pick him because of the percentage. I just I literally thought other than Lee Livesey and Justin Hamner slash Patrick Walters, I felt really good about Scott Martin, and so I had already picked him even though I didn't know what bucket he was in. And then finding him in bucket D, I was like, yeah, I'm, I feel good about that. Yeah, for sure. It certainly doesn't help to have him at a, a lower player percentage than you're, you know, normally seeing him at. Um, I'm going with Clifford Perch. So a couple of different reasons. One being obviously back to the the big bait discussion um, is extremely good with a big bait. But it seems like every year Clifford Perch has a tournament where like all of a sudden you look at Bass Track and he like caught a 12 pounder or some just the most random random thing ever. Uh, and it propels him to have a good event. Uh, Fork might is not be so full. might not be so random at Fork, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, Fork is so full of big fish, and you know, two trains of thought. Let's say um, some fish do start pulling up to spawn, and that actually does play a factor. Not saying it will or won't, but if it does, is obviously one of the better you know bed fishermen in the the elites. So you know, a guy like that could obviously have success doing that. Um, but also throwing a big glide bait or just a swim bait in general um, at a place like Fork, we've seen how successful you can be doing that if you lock it in your hands. So um, at a super, super low player percentage, I think it was 0. 0.5. Uh, yeah, still 0. 0.5. So uh, I'm taking a risk in Bucket D. That's two weeks in a row or two tournaments in a row, rather. Um, bucket D has been the bucket to uh, go with the super low percentage. Last week, it didn't work out for me super well, but I've uh, I've got better feelings about this one. Now we go to the last bucket, bucket E. Uh, if it goes shallow, which I feel like it could, there's a lot of really good guys in this bucket. Really good guys. I mean, you got Brandon Cobb at 29%. You've got Greg Hackney at 19%. Since when? Kyle Welcher at 24%. Since when is Greg Hackney ever going to be the third most picked person? And he's in bucket E. You're if he's in bucket E, it's 92% you're picking Greg Hackney. But the fact that you have Angler of the Year and the and the Angler of the Year runner-up in bucket E has him as the third most picked person. I'm going with another really good shallow guy that used to be roommates with Greg Hackney that has won Elite Series events in this region, Jacob Poroznik. I think that I think that this one is is one that Jacob Poroznik can uh win or at least, you know, get a top 20, get a top 15, something like that. So uh, amongst all of the high percentage picks that are at the top of their game, Welcher, Cobb, Hackney, I'm picking Jacob Prosnick, who kind of slides under the radar these days. Yeah, so I pretty much just decided as soon as I looked at the bucket, the way the percentages were split up, that I was going to probably go with Cobb, Hackney, or Welcher, um, just feeling like it's a, a safer pick in a way. But um, I went with Kyle Welcher. So I, I just feel like, after the season he had last year, um, he did say something that scared me, I guess, a little bit is the fact that last year he attributed a lot of his success to back-to-back uh, -to -back events because, you know, he'd have a good one at the first one and then a good one at the second one. Like, he'd feel like he could, you know, consistently throw nearly the same stuff and, and it just worked out in his favor. Well, I hope it's not the exact same thing on the negative end of the spectrum to where, um, you know, he had obviously one of his worst events there at Toledo Bend last week. I hope that he turns it around, but um, a lot of different things. Like you said, obviously, if the shallow bite turns on, Kyle is as good as anybody doing that. Um, you know, good bed fisherman, if that, you know, ends up being a deal at all. Um, but obviously, we've seen that he can be successful, uh, you know, fishing off the bank. Chatterbait and whatever. Yeah, certainly. So um, I'm going with Welcher. I, I like him to bounce back. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, choose wisely because all these guys in bucket E that you mentioned, you're not going to get a chance to pick them in bucket E probably um, again, or if again, maybe one other time. So uh, take advantage of that while you can. Mike Iaconelli's in this bucket. Buddy Gross is in this bucket. I'll mention Buddy, you know, in, in a short while. Rick Clun, John Cruz, um, David Gaston a lot of really good anglers chad pipkins maybe he'll catch another personal best uh at fork like we did before all right i'm gonna go over my five again justin hamner bucket a jt tompkins bucket b lee livesey bucket c scott martin in bucket d and jacob prosnick in but bucket e i've got 
you know, I'm not quite sure why, but I just threw out 116 pounds, 10 ounces. I just threw out bigger than we've seen it before at Fork. That's what I expect. Whatever the highest we've seen, which is 114 from Brandon Cobb, I think we're going to see a little bit bigger. Yeah, I had 110, so I mean, pretty pretty similar. I, You're I normally can... on the pessimistic side. What'd you have for Toledo? Um, 98 something. So I was I was actually pretty close. Obviously, it went to 100. Uh, I typically don't pick my winning weight at 100 because it seems like we've been burned by that too many times, <laughs> thinking that it would be a 100 pound tournament and then ends up being um significantly less so I, I usually go a little lower but but yeah i think it'll take over 100 pounds i'd say that um it's so hard to predict but if i had to guess i mean i'm thinking at least half the top 10 will be over um 100 pounds i think it could be that good um especially with uh, more stable weather that's coming later in the week i think that you know the guys that are able to to ride the weather should be able to uh, you know be pretty consistent I think that we'll have a good day one weight-wise, a tough day two weight-wise, and then a huge day three and day four. Like, even though the weather gets better on day two, I feel like they're going to ride the good weather from practice, catch them big time day one, and then day two you expect, oh, it's going to be even better. And then it's a little bit of a setback, and then day three and day four are huge. Um, do we ever see this, the all-time weight record from Falcon broken, 132? Are we gonna are we gonna see that ever? Like, there's very uh, few places that could ever do that, and Fork would be one of them. Yeah, it but certainly Fork is just be. so small, and it's not adjacent to Mexico, where where like it, there's no pleasure boaters at Lake, you know, at Falcon. There's plenty of fishing pressure here. Is the problem? I mean, for how small of a lake it is, um, every time that the elites have been here, other than maybe the November tournament in 2020, um, there are plenty of locals fishing. And that's fine, but you know, on a lake that's as small as as Lake Fork is, you notice it a lot quicker. I mean, you get in a certain area where guys are are catching them and having a lot of success, and they're never the only guys in there. There's almost always some locals in there as well. So, um, I would say no. I don't know. I mean, eventually it's bound to happen. I, I'd say whether it's while we're still uh, kicking or not, but um, I'm sure it'll happen. But I'm going to say definitely not this event. I, I just don't feel like I've, I've seen way too many trucks and boats hauling around that don't have wraps on them to, uh, to think that uh, anybody's going to have that consistently, uh, you know, big, big bags. No. And, and, and I don't think so either. Uh, and I'm the guy who always goes with some exorbitant weight, you know, 192 pounds or something, but um, I just figured I'd ask you that. So give me your five guys once again, and we'll move to drain the lake. Yeah. Let me pull it back up here. So I've got Patrick Walters. Bucket A, Cody Huff, Bucket B, Lee Livesey, Bucket C, Clifford Perch, Bucket D, and Kyle Welcher in Bucket E. Nice, nice. Now for Drain the Lake. Uh, Falcon Rods Drain the Lake. The anglers we used in the first event we cannot use anymore. They are done. So Brandon Card, David Mullins, Caleb Summerall, Drew Cook, Patrick Walters, Brad Watley, Joey Safuentes, and Wesley Gore are all done for me. And so I'll give you my first four that I'm going to use. Uh, I've got one crossover from my five-man Rapala team to my eight-man Falcon Rods Drain the Lake team. So Livesey, Buddy Gross, Hank Cherry, and Ben Milliken. And remember, I set all of my Drain the Lake stuff before the season started. So I'm not trying to like, oh, I didn't use Milliken at Toledo and he did well. I should use him here. No, like I put – I skipped him on Toledo – for a reason, because it was going to be different than it was April of last year. I just didn't know that he was going to also, you know, get a top five in February of this year. So I moved him to fork when my uh, pre my preseason predictions. So Livesey, Buddy Gross, Hank Cherry, and Ben Milliken are my first four. Who are your first four? So I also have uh, some crossover. I have two guys that I cross over um, from Rampola to Falcon uh, Drain the Lake, but um, Lee Livesey. Chris Aldane, Cody Huff, and Brandon Card are my first four. Say that again. Chris Aldane, Cody Huff. And Brandon Card. And who's the fourth one? Lee Livesey. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I also have Chris Aldane in my second four. I've got Chris Aldane, John Sokup, John Cruz, and Jacob Fouts. Okay. So my second or my second half is going to be Frank Talley. Mark Frazier, Brandon Lester, and JT Tompkins. Ooh, okay. 
So to go over our lists again, I've got Livesey, Gross, Cherry, Milliken, Zaldane, Soakup, Cruz, and Fouts. Uh, Livesey, don't have to explain why. Uh, Buddy Gross, I'm purely going off of trends, and he has won the second Elite Series event every other year. It's only a two-tournament sample, but he wins Eufaula, Alabama, his second Elite Series event, and then next year he doesn't win one, and then the next year he wins Harris Chain, the second Elite Series event. He didn't win one last year. He might, you know, if he has a chance to win it, it's going to be this one. It's the trend. Uh, also, offshore or shallow, I feel like Buddy could set up much better here. I think we're going to see a lot of bait casters compared to spinning rods. Even if forward facing is in there, I think it's just going to be like maybe it's swim baits, maybe it's jerk baits, maybe it's you know something like lipless, something like that. Um, Hank Cherry, Ben Milliken, uh, big baits for Milliken. That's that's one reason why I was picking him here. Hank Cherry, I think it's uh, that pre-spawn push to shallow or finding them with a jerk bait in between. I think I remember Hank had a video he posted where like he didn't catch him and lost him in the fork event and stayed after like for a few days, just catching fish and learning to land them in timber on treble hooks, things like that. So I think that, uh, you know, that was, that's good. That's good for athletes to do that with their, with their craft. Zaldane, big baits wise as well. We've seen him on Bass Live have success up shallow with big baits or off the bank. Uh, soak up a great live scoper, got off to a good start to his elite season this year compared to last year tremendously. John Cruz, it seems like when he does excel, it's early in the year. And yes, he's won uh, two elite series events. Both of those were title fisheries, so it doesn't apply here, but they're both kickoffs to the season early events. He's done well in classics that were cold classics early pre-spawn you know type events so i'll put cruz slotted here because i know cruz is going to be a heavy pick at st john's for drain the lake later in the year for a lot of people and i don't think it's going to be the same as when he won two years ago in 2022 so i'm picking him here because i think a lot of people pick him there and then jacob fouts uh hey great start for him he got a check he's had a tumultuous offseason a little bit he's been in the in more in the spotlight than he's ever been but he did get a check at toledo and uh, I think that he'll keep that rolling in Texas here at Lake Fork and either do the same thing or he could slightly mix it up um, in the timber and catch him this week as well. Sure. So uh, to go over my eight again, I have Lee Livesey, Chris Saldane, Cody Huff, Brandon Card, Frank Talley, Mark Frazier, Brandon Lester, and JT Tompkins. Um, obviously a lot of the same logic um, that you had for a handful of those guys, but uh, Cody Huff, again, going back to um, being able to catch those pre-spawners and, and something that he has consistently been able to do, um, you know, utilizing those electronics. Brandon Cards had a good history here. He's a guy that seemingly, despite being, you know, more of a veteran in the field, has has really grasped on to the, the concept of forward-facing sonar and has, has done well with it. Obviously, I think, uh, you know, again, just his history here, it seemed like the, the one event I would want to go with Card. Um, and then, you know, Mark Frazier having a good event here, Brandon Lester needing a good event here. I think, you know, seems like he's going to bounce back at some point. Um, and, and Fork would be as good of a place as any to do it. Uh, and then JT Tompkins for the same reason that you had him in, uh, in Rapala. So that's my eight man roster. Lester's Lester's puzzling to me because he, he always does well, gets off to a good start. And last year he just didn't get off to a great start. Like he had, I guess, an okay Okeechobee terrible Seminole and and then just like had a good classic and then just never got going again so hopefully Brandon Lester makes a return he made every check in 2022 and and just made a handful last year and didn't make the classic like just shocker so I uh I expect Lester to bounce back as well at some point so I picked him in Rapala last week uh, obviously I could pick him again I haven't used him in drain the lake yet so uh, we'll see about Lester but yeah Interesting dynamics here at Lake Fork, whether it's forward-facing sonar, Century Club, finesse tactics, the push shallow, the weather that we're going to have, or how small and pressured this body of water is. It's going to be a fun Elite Series event. Make sure you tune in there. Set your lineups. I know you're listening to this podcast Tuesday evening slash Wednesday morning. Make sure you do it because today is the last day to do it before it locks Thursday morning. Don't be the guy that says, I'm going to sleep on it and I'll set the lineup before they start because they always take off earlier than you think. 
and it'll be locked. Um, we don't don't pull a Lisa Talmadge, our tournament director, who set her lineup when AT and T decided to go down, and it didn't save. Don't do that. Don't do that. I I love you, Lisa. I just had to had to rag on you there for dropping like a zero in the first event. I think. Um, all right, Kyle. Have fun at Fork, man. Hope you take some stellar photos, and I hope we have a great live show. Uh, for those who have stayed here in the show this long, I'll give you. That's the bonus. We need to do that. Every preview show, stay for the last five minutes if you want to hear who's on Bass Live later in the week. Uh, but we will have Lee Livesey on live. We should have um, Lee Livesey for being the local favorite, Kiyoya Fujita for being the Angler of the Year leader. And then we've got a mixture of Chris Saldane, John Cox, Drew Benton, and Brock Mosley. So we've got some elite winners, some shallow water hammers. Because honestly, Kyle, I don't know if we're going to see shallow water it, yeah, so that's our best 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 guess is day one. Um, but no, it should be good. We should probably have a couple units plugged in. We'll be able to show some of their offshore stuff if they decide to do it. Um, but that's still a work in progress as we get through each week. But excited to have the second stop back-to-back weeks at Lake Fork. And after Sunday, Kyle, we'll be basically a quarter of the way through the elite schedule. Yeah, it's weird to think about it that way considering we just started. But uh <laughs> Yeah, it, it should be a good event. Obviously, Fork's always a lot of fun just because of the giant fish that get caught each and every day. So um, it's super fun to cover this event for that that reason because you never know when a 10-pounder is going to happen. It seems like it happens about every time we're here. So uh, I know we said that Toledo Bend never had an actual 10-pounder, but I'd be willing to bet we probably see at least one here at Lake Fork. Uh, we need to see some. I'll be really, really, really surprised. Because we won't be able to see them brought in with the with the limit. It needs to be a 9 or 10-pounder. I think somebody it was craziest thing. I think it was postponed, but I think there was like a six and a half brought in one day, <laughs> and like and then Pipkin's nine pounder was pre-spawn and wasn't brought in because it was too short. But there was a six and a half post-spawn that was long enough. So uh, hopefully within the slot limit or above it, hopefully the big ones get come in get brought in above it. All right, Kyle, I will see you after Fork, but good luck.